0: Oh, taste buds. You know what time of year it is. Family. Food. Football. The three F's of Thanksgiving. Of course, I'm particular to the food part. But you know I love the football, too. If you are out for dinner and there are no TVs, wherever you may be, I suggest the Yahoo Sports mobile app with it. You can watch live NFL games right on your phone. That includes local games and prime time games all season long. Never miss big NFL matchups or your favorite team in action. That's enough to give thanks for. So download the Yahoo Sports mobile app and spend this Thanksgiving stuffing yourself on football. All right. All right. All right. My taste buds, my culinary comrades, my hungry homies. We have done it. We are back. Welcome to House of Car, the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am your hungry host, Joe House, a great pre-Thanksgiving show. We're in a pre-pre-Thanksgiving mode right now. Everybody wants to talk about Thanksgiving. Our guest today from Austin, Texas. He is a food writer, a food critic, a world traveler, a world writer. He writes for the Austin American Statesman. He's been their restaurant critic since 2011. Matthew Odom. He's a man about town, a man about the world, and he has many delicious things to say about the food in Austin, Texas. We also cover some hungry Homie, kind of eats in washington dc and in montreal canada i think you're going to enjoy this conversation surprise guest for food news today my hungry homies before we get there producer kyle yeah you're here we have been introducing the show with the best thing i ate and we've covered some important territory juliette Walked us through a meatball sub of hers. I talked a little bit about Major Domo recently. You were lucky enough to be traveling the Midwest, the what so-called flyover country, but we call it America's heartland. And you did some eating. You were with the One Shining. What's that show called? Wow. One Shining podcast. <laughs> it's
1: on my goddamn armhouse.
0: Uh, well, I knew it was OSP, but you know, I with with you millennials, who knows what, what the P the stands P, for.
1: What, what the P for?
0: What could the P have stand for? <laughs> what could the PS I I just didn't want to say it. I mean, I'm a grown ass man. Now look, I, I know that, that Titus uh, had one place in Columbus, Ohio that he insisted that, that you join him. And this was Nancy's is it Nancy's home cooking?
1: Yeah, I think it's it might just be Nancy's, but it's definitely home cooking. Okay, it's definitely so definitely signs and, and, that say home cooking.
0: And there's a dish there that 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 Titus insisted that you eat i need you you need to share with the hungry homies what that was
1: all about. I'll tell you man um uh, chicken and noodles uh at first, I thought it was soup I was kind of soured on it, and it was like a really nice like down home place. it was like a sort of like a shack or a luncheonette, I think is maybe what you might call it um and uh he he sold me on the chicken and noodles. he said it's the best thing ever you gotta get it. Uh and I tell you what, House, I really didn't like it. <laughs> I really didn't like it. It <laughs> was uh it was uh shredded chicken, sort of like you'd find a chicken noodle soup. Um and these things they he says they're noodles. I I think that they were they like soggy french fries almost, but it's definitely like it's it felt like potatoes or maybe like a super al dente noodle uh with gravy. I like the gravy, but I just I don't know. There was like twenty other things I think I would have I liked from a place like that, like that's down home uh cooking, like other than- But Titus
0: insisted. He insisted he, as as as, as, a, as a as as Columbus's first son. He said, "When you come to Nancy's, you got to have the chicken and noodles." Now, what is it about your palate? You you hail from Poughkeepsie, New York. I would think that there would be some similarities between kind of the 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 palate in Poughkeepsie and the palate in Columbus. Why did this thing not rub you the right way?
1: I just, I mean. It just, there wasn't a lot of flavor in there. I liked the gravy. I mean, I I feel like the the gravy kind of saved it for me, but um, it was just, it was just kind of bland. It it was like, it seemed like in college you would go there um to fill up and that's that's cool uh but see my my thing was i had lied to him about eating already because i wanted him to take me somewhere else and uh <laughs> it was just it, i mean it must have been a few pounds of food it felt like and and I, I i couldn't i couldn't choke it down and then he shamed me on twitter so
0: it was well so yeah that that's what i saw i saw the picture you'd only eaten half of it and so what i think we just took a an important lesson there producer kyle Elevated palate. You want something with a little zing. <laughs> you need a little spice. You don't want that Heartland uh, flavor profile. You don't want you know your basic chicken and noodle. And I I think this noodle. I'm going to do a little investigation. It sounds to me like it may come from ha- hail from just the way you're describing it, like something uh, with a German heritage or Austrian, like the Spätzle or something, where it's kind of a, a chewy kind of noodle. Uh, something yeah, that's maybe what it even, was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so we'll I, I'll I'll will investigate, and I I also want to know. What the ingredients in the gravy? Why the gravy was a saving grace. We're going to let you off the hook, um, and we and, and and what we mean to say is that Nancy's is a wonderful, beautiful place that everybody should go visit. I can in tell Columbus, Ohio. I can tell you just you just
1: should have been left to choose something that you wanted to eat. Nobody else had it on their plate. Like they all had it one time and did like got it down, you know. And they were like, let's let's, let's explore let's, the menu here. So yeah, I, let I,
0: I, let let's let's do some real uh, uh, heartland kind of food. Uh, and I don't know what what that would be because I don't have the menu in front of me, but it wasn't the chicken and noodles. No, for you, for you,
1: burger next time for me, for sure. Burger,
0: <laughs> burger next time for you. All right, let's get into that belly with our guest Matthew Odom, and and we'll try and do better next time on on best thing I eat this week. <laughs> All right, my taste buds, we have been eyeballing today's guest for a little while now. He is obviously very credentialed because all of our guests here on House of Carbs are very credentialed. But crucially, for the purposes of our show today, he is an expert and has expert opinions on two of the most important food groups in this great country of ours, and Lo, if I may uh, hyperbolize for a minute, and I think all of you will permit me, uh, perhaps two of the most important food groups on on planet Earth. He is an expert in Texas barbecue as well as tacos in Texas. He's a native of Austin, Texas, a sixth Generation Texan, he served as the Austin American Statesman's restaurant critic since 2011. He writes travel and feature stories for the paper. He's a winner of more than a half dozen state and national awards, a contributor to national food publications like Bon Appetit, Condé Nast Traveler, Food & Wine, and more, Matthew Odom. Welcome to House of Carbs.
2: What is up, house? You see, are you I there? Like I, a, I feel like I need to go into a ring and punch somebody in the face.
0: Yeah, well, that's the that, that you've you've landed in the right place. I'm hoping that you don't want to punch me in the face by the time <laughs> by the time we're done with this. So, uh, I, I obviously we're going to talk tacos, we're going to talk barbecue, but uh, we are taping this on the the Tuesday, the week that precedes Thanksgiving. And it occurred to me as we were exchanging notes in the lead up to this. I'm not really sure how they do Thanksgiving in in Texas, and I'm not going to make you be a spokesman for all of Texas. But why don't you share with the Taste Buds, of Hungry Homies, how, how do you do Thanksgiving in 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 your portion of Texas?
2: You know, it's I don't I, I find that that might be one of the most traditional holidays in terms of the way people eat around the country. My family kind of does it the same way a lot of people do turkey stuffing, some kind of cranberry. Uh, I'm sure there's some more South Texas influences uh, that might creep into the holiday, but my family likes to keep it pretty traditional. I cook for the family a lot. I'm talking like my sister's family and my my mom and dad, uh, and then for my wife and me. But at Thanksgiving time, I I relinquish the turkey role to my brother-in-law who has his ways. Uh, and then my mom does a couple sides. I'll probably do like a, a whipped sweet potatoes. Uh, I'm thinking about doing a deconstructed green bean casserole, you know, Dorcas Riley who invented uh Campbell's green bean casserole died just a few weeks ago. Yeah. RIP. 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 So we might, you know, I, I, the way I find it every time it rolls around as I've gotten more and more interested in food, I always offer to, to make something and people always just kind of, tend to go back towards what they've always loved. So I don't I think the key with Thanksgiving is to not get too over your skis trying to do anything different than what people already like. And I'm not a big turkey guy, but I'll uh, I'll eat the heck out of some turkey sandwiches the day after. You know, we've also got I don't know uh if you guys have it up there or out there, but turducken uh is a yes. thing that goes down down here.
0: Okay, well let's we'll talk about that. Have you, have you experienced the turducken?
2: I've had a and I've never made one. I think they're more, the first time I ever heard of one, I think it was from Major Applewhite, who's from Louisiana. Uh, shout out Houston Cougars. Uh, I mean, that is a chicken stuffed into a duck, stuffed into a turkey. Uh, and and so that's, I mean, we were talking, we were emailing about Montreal. It kind of reminds me of something that you might find at Au Pied de Cochon up in uh, Montreal. But it's just, it's a three-beast uh dish i i mean i i would i'm scared enough to cook a brisket or a turkey so i can't imagine trying to mess with a a three in one but that is something that goes on down in southeast texas and louisiana i guess
0: yeah that that makes a lot of sense and it's all the foul all at once that 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 has a logic to it so i i don't want to be uh stereotyping Right off the bat, but I thought that I might hear about some macaroni and cheese with some jalapenos in it. I thought I might hear a little bit about a burnt ends mixed in with the green bean casserole. I mean, there are a lot of ways you could take the traditional uh, classics and texify them. Texify? Yeah.
2: I mean, now you're talking. I'm super into some green chili mac and cheese, and I I I had decent burnt end mac and cheese. I just think people don't want to go too crazy. You might see a glazed ham. Uh, But for the most part, I think you might see some glazed ribs. But for the most part, I think people expect to have their turkey. Uh, You might find some funky sausages. There's a place called Dai Due here. Uh, There's a place called Salt and Thyme. Sometimes I like to swing by and buy something out of their butcher case. Uh, So those are some Austin favorites. You know, there's a ton of restaurants that that do Thanksgiving meals uh, on Thanksgiving Day. So it's obvious uh, some people just aren't into the uh the ten hour cook for the one hour eat situation.
0: Yeah, well, but look, I, I guess the, the takeaway here is is traditional Thanksgiving triumphs. I shouldn't be surprised. Uh you know, it it, it the, the classics always carry the day and, and it's good to hear that Texas is on board with that.
2: Yeah, we're we're different than people in a lot of ways, but not in that way. I mean I think Bone recent cover, Your Boy Rappaport had that beautiful cover. I mean I think that's just that's how people like to get down they like that turkey
0: yeah so uh you you just published your annual magnum opus the 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 Austin food guy that you've been doing each year for the past several years have, the first question, have you recovered
2: <laughs> you know the last uh the writing is definitely more taxing than the eating i'd say but yeah i think i've i've finally recovered i've come out from my uh come out from my cave and I've been dining and writing and being a normal person again but yeah it's my top 50 restaurants and then I added on you know 10 barbecue top 15 or so tacos top 10 trailers uh and I think there's something else in there so you know we, we try and make it have a range from from casual everyday drivers to the the super fancy stuff but the top 50 are all kept in in one spot
0: Yeah, because if if you didn't break out tacos and barbecue into their own subcategories and let people go deep there, how how many uh, taco and barbecue places would end up in your top 50 list if you didn't give them their own category?
2: You know, it's tough. I had Daniel Vaughn, who's the barbecue editor at Texas Monthly. We we went and had lunch uh, a couple months ago before I turned it in, and I was wrestling with how many barbecue places to put in, and I said, how many would you put in? And he said, all of them.
0: And then, uh, <laughs> that, me too. Yeah. I would have done. Now he's the barbecue snob at barbecue yeah. snob on Twitter, Vaughn. I mean, his his he's a legend. He's a barbecue yeah, legend, I Texas mean, barbecue he, he's, legend.
2: And I get it. And you got to defend your turf. You know the way. Yeah. So it could have been you know fifty taco places, but I wanted to get I wanted them separate to give them some shine. The, the only barbecue places. Uh, I consider so the top fifties, just restaurants. And yes. as you know, having haven't been down here in Austin, most of the great barbecue spots in Austin are actually trailers. So right, right. Franklin barbecue is obviously the number one barbecue restaurant in the state, at least in my opinion, uh, you know, in the world. And so Franklin's in there, but then, you know, the top, my top barbecue places are all pretty much trailers. There's one counter service place. So, um, <laughs> the, uh, so the, the breakout for the trailers and, and the barbecue and the tacos were just to make sure everybody got their shine.
0: Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what's going on down there in the food scene in Austin. I I clicked it open, but I just gave it a quick scan because I didn't want to you know formulate any any opinions. I, I like to do my research, of course, but I wanted to to hear it live from you so I could react to it. Um, what's going on down there and what kind of influences? I saw a lot of Asian food popping out.
2: There has been a lot of Asian food uh, down here of late. You know, we've got uh, Otoko, which is a 12-seat kind of modern Kaiseki idea at the South Congress Hotel. It's this uh, cool chef named Yoshi Kai, who's from Kyoto. He was a food and wine best new chef, I think, in 2017. Uh, there's, of course, Uchi and Uchiko, which you've probably been to, uh, great sushi restaurants. There's Kamuri Tatsuya, which I think was number six on my list. I think our friend Brett Martin described it as like a tarantino fever dream roadhouse uh the inside it's kind of a texas barbecue joint meets japanese izakaya place uh, yeah that
0: that that caught my attention i mean i'm into that
2: yeah it's 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 a lot of fun it's a great place to go with like three buddies you sit at the t- circular table there in the front and there's kind of kitschy japanese uh ephemera and old texas beer signs and it really is a mashup of cultures uh, the people that work there are excitable and and, and friendly and and knowledgeable and the, the dishes come out at a pretty nice pace and you get you know, you get nice Japanese sashimi and you also get grilled chicken hearts on skewers like you would uh, street yes. food yes. in Tokyo. You get yes. fried octopus balls with Texas chili, uh, yes. things like that.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well I, yeah, I uh like like I didn't want I don't wanna hop
2: Texas chili. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is a, that's a, that's right up the house, house eats alley. Believe me. Um, I, I, I don't want to hijack uh, the conversation. What What's going on down there? What's the theme? What's, what, what are you observing? What, what, what's caught your fancy?
2: You know, I think there's a, there's some, several interesting things going on there. There's homegrown talent. that kind of went off to do other things and came back um, and are doing awesome stuff here. There's a guy named Michael Fotiget who is a native of Dallas he went to UT and then worked in some restaurants here and then he went out to LA and worked at uh, Animal and Son of a Gun uh with John and Benny and yeah. then he came here and opened up a a, a refined southern restaurant called Olame it's uh in a in an old building near the Capitol. it's been open about 3 or 4 years it was my number 1 uh, two out of three years. This year, it's it's number four. So they do refined Southern food. Uh, really beautiful stuff. So they did a sorghum brine pork shop the last time I was there. It was in this oh. pool of ham to be, which is kind of almost uh. like uh, pork milk, you know? Yes. And it's, uh, it's beautiful. They do uh, Carolina gold rice hush puppies. Uh, they'll, and sometimes they just do simple stuff like... Boiled peanuts and thickened buttermilk. Uh, they'll do beef tartare that are kind of dotted with beef fat mayonnaise. So you find a lot of classic flavors, but done with, with a lot of technique. Um, another local guy that was born in Austin, raised in Austin, then went off to San Francisco and came back is a guy named Bryce Gilmore. He's a six-time James Beard finalist for uh, Best Chef Southwest. He's got a place on uh, near downtown called Odd Duck, which is kind of like uh, uh, you know fried quail. Uh, They do stuffed pretzels, pretzel stuff with pig face, with pepperoni mayonnaise. Uh, They do some fish dishes. It's kind of like if your grandparents from Texas went to culinary school and then He's got a, he's got a ref, more refined restaurant uh, up north called Barley Swine, which started out as a small little restaurant. They moved to a bigger space. They do tasting menus. They do a la carte. Uh, you know, more than anything, it's Texas food, but uh, yeah. you might find flavors that nod to Mexico, flavors that m- nod to Southeast Asia. So you've got local dudes like that uh, who left and came back, and then you've got other guys and, and gals coming in from, from out of town. There's um, the number one restaurant, um is a place called Immer and Rye which is in an entertainment district near downtown called Rainy Street it's kind of known for its for its bars and kind of you know 25 year old to 32 year old uh, party scene but there's it's some really great food the, the chef's name is Kevin Fink uh, he was in that same class i think as Yoshi Okai in the 2017 food and wine best new chef and he spent about 6 months working for uh, one of your former guests Rene Redepi over at noma in oh Copenhagen. wow and so he messes with a, a lot of kind of you know fermentation projects, and might make wild Texas plum, ume, uh, wild Texas plum umeboshi, uh, mesquite vinegar, stuff like that. And then they also they. they height. G- <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was a mouthful.
2: <laughs> <And> they,
0: <laughs> Literally, they, uh,
2: right? They <laughs> they they mill their own heritage grains to make pasta and bread and. So it's really technique-driven, it's very thoughtful, it's very process-driven, it's very craftsman-like. And so so he and his partners, Tavell Bristol-Joseph and Paige Presley, uh, the two chefs there at Emmer and Rye with Kevin Fink, uh, have yeah. created something really special down there in the Rainy Street District. And so that's an example of somebody who's come from out of town, also somebody who's come from out of town. Uh, Max Snyder is the chef at a number two restaurant on my list, Pitchfork Pretty which is right down the street from La Barbecue, which I think you've been to, House.
0: Oh, yes, um, I have.
2: And Max was at 11 Madison Park in New York, which, of course, is one of the best restaurants in the right. world.
0: Yes. And
2: before he came down here and, you know, he does grilled goat loin with yogurt and he does a great fried chicken. He also does uh, some more delicate stuff like red snapper aguachile like with, with watermelon
3: and oh my basil. God. So
2: he kind of bring, brings uh, a, a lot of high technique to you know, comforting, comforting flavor profiles, and so that's another that's another example of somebody moving down here. And then, of course, we've got Mexican food, and you know, we've long been a taco in Tex-Mex town, but Suerte, which you've got to come to on your next on your next visit, I think it's probably the buzziest restaurant in town right now. It was number three on my list. Okay. Uh, the owner is Sam Hellman Moss, who is one of the founders of odd duck there with Bryce Gilmore and he hired uh, executive chef for Nunez who's from Mexico and had worked in some restaurants in Austin and they they nichetamolize their own corn from masa that they used to make tostadas and tlacoyos and tortillas they make probably the the most popular dish in Austin this year I think was the suadero brisket taco that they serve on their house-made corn tortillas and the brisket is kind of dabbled with like sesame and garlic oil and topped with some uh avocado crudo and uh there's like a platter of five of them and everybody's drinking mezcal there's oaxacan textiles on the wall it's just it's it's a damn good time
0: so uh that's a that's a good segue um one of the challenges that i'm very curious about as it relates to your walk of life down there in austin texas is distinguishing between you know, outstanding tacos, outstanding barbecue. And like, h- how do you come up with the criteria? Because, you know, for, for, for the experience that you have and what you have available to you, it's a, it's a, it's literally a, a world of difference between, um, you know, what an East Coast or a mid Atlantic kind of person like myself has available when everything is kind of superlative how do you uh come up with some distinguishing traits so uh and and i think that taco w- that you just described sounds like a um the taco of the year to me possibly the taco <laughs> of the of the decade but like h- how do you go about it
2: you know i think what you're trying to do with a list like this top 50 is i think food writers say it should be a snapshot that kind of captures what's going on in the city at this moment um things that stand out you know you're not going to get food like you will at Barley Swine or Odd Duck in Washington, D.C., because they source locally, you know, right. completely. And same, same with a place like Daidue. And when you go to Suerte, you're not going to find, you know, you, you might find, you know, I know there's Claro in, in Brooklyn. There's some great interior Mexican restaurants up in, in New York, but our proximity to um, Mexico down here, to the people, to the culture, it's been part of South Texas, obviously, um, for forever. Um, it really insinuates itself in into our culture, and it's really one culture. And so, you, you know, and that corn and those tacos that we talked about at Suerte is all from Texas. So, you know, it's a little bit sweet, but you're not going to find those flavor profiles, and you're not going to—you might not think to have brisket tacos the way that we make brisket tacos down here. So you, you want to capture a sense of place. A lot of these places are sourcing locally. Uh, you want to capture a sense of what makes Austin unique. And I think, you know, our top 10 restaurants or top 12 even, uh, you know, I'd put up against any city our size in America and up against most of the big cities with the exception of of just a handful. So you want to make sure that it captures the really high-end stuff, but it's not just supposed to be uh, the fanciest or the most expensive restaurants. It's the ones that make us unique and leave a lasting impression. And when you – you know, I – you travel around the country. After a while, some of these places kind of start to feel uh, redundant, even even the good ones. And whether you're you might be in Chicago or you might be in Louisville or you might be in Nashville uh, or you might be in Portland, Maine, and sometimes they can feel interchangeable. So I think what's important is trying to create a restaurant that gives you a sense of a sense of place and a sense of time.
0: Yeah. So um, for your own pursuits, when you're when you're in Austin and trying to distinguish. Between the best that Austin has to offer for for barbecue and 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 uh tacos, how do you think about distinguishing you know uh, among the top five in each of those pursuits? let's say,
2: yeah, you know I guess tacos you, you want to think about tortillas uh to start you want to think about just the building blocks of a taco tortillas toppings uh salsas, so you go to Daidue Taqueria, which is downtown. Uh, in what's called fairground, it's really our first food hall, which is amazing that it took us so long to get a food hall. Since they're, you know, kind of played in some of the bigger cities, but they make their own. They nixtamalize their own corn in house to make these uh, these corn tortillas that have uh, great, robust flavor, and then they top them with like wild boar, al pastor. So the the chef there has been trying to help thin out the the population of, of wild boars, which have really been a scourge in central and south Texas. And so uh, they they get creative with ingredients like that. They make a boar pipion. And so you, you want to think about tortillas. So that takes you to a place like La Flor, which is just a little trailer that makes handmade corn tortillas, they're thick and fluffy, like papusas. Uh, you can hear the woman slapping them as you as you walk towards the trailer, so you know you're you're in the right spot. Um, but but you you want to start with a good tortilla, and then you just want to want to build your way up, whether that's with lengua or with fajita meat. Uh, of course, I would imagine if you've been down here, you've probably had uh, one of the migas tacos at Veracruz All Natural.
0: Right, right. If you, you can't go to Austin and not get a migas.
2: Yeah. So the migas, I mean, uh, the late great. Uh, Jonathan Gold, who was uh, egg averse, as many of us know, I told him about the place, and he he went three times in, in one visit. So that tells you how good the Migas taco is if, if Jonathan would go eat all those eggs. So that's really about uh, a flour tortilla, uh, a nice twirl of perfectly seasoned eggs, so salt and pepper. You got to keep the tortilla trip. You got to keep the tortilla strips on top, nice and crunchy. You need big feathered pieces of avocado and that melting cap. A Monterey Jack cheese, uh, so it's it, it's just really the perfect the perfect breakfast, the perfect meal.
0: Taste buds, quick break from this outstanding chat with my main man Matty O. Let me tell you about Snake River Farms. They're out there offering some of the very best beef in the world. Perfect topic for today's conversation: a cross breed of highly prized purebred Japanese Wagyu cattle and traditional American cattle breeds, these melt-in-your-mouth cuts are intensely marbled with a robust beef flavor. You can experience rich Wagyu flavors and still eat more than a couple ounces of steak. And Snake River Farms' American Wagyu grades out well above USDA Prime. Way above. You should see me doing the visual. It's way up here. Way above USDA Prime beef. Most people have never had beef this marbled. No wonder it's the beef served by chefs who know beef. Ranging from up-and-coming chefs to well-known culinary geniuses and their establishments, you're going to find Snake River Farms meat at places like Thomas Keller's French Laundry, and, per se, Wolfgang Puck's Cut and Masaharu Morimoto's Morimoto. Snake River Farms has even been served in Michelin-starred restaurants, James Beard award-winning kitchens, and legendary steakhouses all over these great United States. Elevate your holiday meals, my hungry homies. Do it this season with beef and pork from Snake River Farms. Full line of steaks, roasts, and hams. Their kuru ham and pork is kind of the Kobe equivalent of ham. How about this, Hungry Homies? House of Carbs listeners get 15% off their order. Just go to www.snakeriverfarms.com. And enter promo code HOUSE at checkout. That's H O U S E at checkout. www.snakeriverfarms.com. Delicious meaty for your belly. Let's uh, jump over to barbecue. When you're just distinguishing between those, you know, uh, uh, all all the top. Franklin's is, you know, sets the standard. But I, I yeah. had, you know, a transportive experience at La Barbecue.
2: Yeah, La Barbecue is great. There's so many good places now. Aaron deserves all the credit uh, for, for opening his trailer in 2009 and getting this whole boom going. I think, you know, he, he reimagined kind of what great brisket could be like, what great barbecue could be like. So I think, you know, in central Texas, you're talking low and slow smoking with post oak and that kind of – what differentiates us and and Aaron uses uh, excellent quality beef and so uh, that's going to also differentiate his so you know the the yardstick when you're talking central texas barbecue is is usually brisket um the number 2 on my list leroy and lewis they do wagyu brisket and they only do it on saturdays and it it's so good that if it was you know if it was offered daily it would be hard to keep them out of the number 1 spot but then they do interesting things like uh, barbacoa and beef cheeks they do a, you'll like this. They they smoke a quail that's kind of seasoned with some cayenne and stuff it with mac and cheese.
0: Oh my god.
2: Yeah, the next time you're here that's that's a must do. Uh quail stuffed with mac and cheese and kind of an Asian sweet potato salad. So they're doing things a little bit differently. So and that's some of the exciting stuff about barbecue and it's spreading everywhere. You know, I was at uh the Texas Monthly barbecue festival speaking of Daniel Vaughn a couple weeks ago and people were doing, you know, Uh, Pork belly burn ins and bacon burn ins. And, you know, people are trying to do different things and frying them with, like, and glazing them with a peach habanero glaze. So people are starting to do different things. And you're also getting, which is, you know, one of the things that's so great about this part of the world, and especially if you drive about 50, 60 miles south of here, is that South Texas barbecue is just a little bit different. Uh, There's a guy named Miguel Vidal uh, who opened Valentina's Tex Mex barbecue. It's a trailer. It's down in deep South Austin now. Eventually, it's going to be a brick-and-mortar restaurant. But he smokes with mesquite wood, you know, which can be a little bit trickier and has a little bit uh, different flavor than post oak. And he blends the ideas. I mean, this is – have you been to Valentina's house?
0: No, no, I haven't been.
2: Okay, so so the food is – so it's called Valentina's Tex-Mex Barbecue. So you're talking smoked meats, like mesquite smoked uh, brisket. And then served on a homemade super lardy flour tortilla, and then topped with these beautiful salsas that they make, uh, and then a salty and kind of uh, citrusy guacamole. So you'll have like a tomato habanera salsa and kind of that bright guacamole with the depth of flavor and the fat that you get from the brisket. It's on that lardy soft flour tortilla, which has to be the best tortilla in Austin. So w- when you get people that start blending, you know, to us it sounds, or to some it might sound like a, a blending of traditions, Tex-Mex barbecue, but it's really what South Texas cooking is all about. So, you know, th- that's that's kind of the things... I get excited about are, are some of the changes in and barbecue some of the changes of pace um you know there's there's perfection and then there's a bunch of exciting experimental stuff going on there's Micklewaite Craft Meats uh does a pulled lamb and they also do barbacoa and make a bunch of uh different sausages you'd also love their jalapeno cheese grits which are oh. you know maybe the best side dish uh the best side dish in, in Austin Uh, At a barbecue restaurant, there's a new place called Whitfield's down south, and they're doing, like, pickled strawberries and pieces of pineapple pickled with, like, uh, scotch bonnet and scorpion peppers. Uh, And the the strawberries have basil with them, and then, of course, they have pickled onions and and pickled cucumbers. But I I think bringing some creativity uh, and some acid to balance out uh, those big, smoky, heavy, fatty proteins is a smart approach. But of course, you know, you just, you want brisket, you go to La barbecue, you go to Kerlin Barbecue, another trailer, of course you go to Franklin, and I think the wait's always worth it there. You know, I tell, I I tell the Hungry Homies that it's worth a stop in to Franklin for the experience. You know, you've got to have more than a day. I wouldn't spend, if I had one day in Austin, I might not spend three and a half hours in line. And I have the privilege of, of, of going there at eight in the morning and setting up a folding chair. And, uh... You know, working on a laptop or working from my phone while I'm in line, and I know that everybody doesn't have that uh, that luxury. But I go once a year just to check in, and it, the soundtrack's perfect. The place is spotless. You can use the bathrooms from the moment you get there. They come around and sell you cold beer in line. They take your order to make sure everybody's taken care of. I mean, it's it's a really great experience. And uh, Aaron and Stacy are two of the nicest people you'll ever meet.
0: Yeah, I I haven't the the closest I've gotten is watching Andrew Knowlton from Bon Appetit do his 24 hours, you know, behind the, oh, right. the counter at, at at Franklin's, and you know, I I just had to eat with my eyeballs. But you know, it <laughs> sounds like I I'm I'm overdue for a, for another visit to Austin. I'm really blown away by all the innovation you're describing in terms of taking kind of a traditional Texas barbecue meal and all of the ways you can elevate or or uh you know just just um, create flavor profiles that are like way off of that, that beaten path. And I, I, the, the, the challenge for me would be, you know, how to, um, try, I want to try everything, but I really just want to hit the classics. So, you know, I have, I have to give myself enough time, I guess, is the answer.
2: Yeah. You know, it's a lunch, it's a lunch meal. There's only, you know, in my top 10, I think doing a quick scan, there might be, you know, one that's open for maybe two that are open for dinner. Um, so, you know, it's, it, it's a tight squeeze if you're coming in, uh, you know, for one day and you've got uh, one day to eat, you you can probably hit three places. You might need to divide and conquer and stagger your strategy, but yeah, you can spend just a weekend here eating brisket and just a weekend here eating tacos and then come back and, and hit the best restaurants. But uh, you know, not that those aren't good. Hit the hit the others in the top fifty. But yeah, there's there's a real there's a real breadth and, and depth of um food going on here. So whether it's niche and, and casual and, and cheap or whether it's high end stuff that you might not find in other cities. You know, I, I just think when you want when you hit Austin, you know, I think you wanna hit leaving like you understand the place better. So you wanna yeah, do the right. high and low
0: well and and it, and it's it's through our mouths and through our bellies that's the best way to experience it um you've had the 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 good fortune of traveling this this great world of ours it it, it is part of your job i believe it's in the job description you i know you've been to to here to washington dc cuz we exchanged notes about that yeah, trip you, thank you, you very were you Mon- were much Oh um, my I mean I I didn't do it you you've eaten at more places and new new places in DC than I have. You you hit a bunch <laughs> of the highlights. Um you were in Montreal and then I know I think you were in like Thailand a year ago. Um Yeah, I was so, in Thailand
2: a year ago this week, but yeah, it was fun to come back to DC. Uh I came back to DC this summer.
0: Yeah. So let let's start with DC. That's the easiest uh, uh, one for us to to sort of cover. Quickly, um, I know, I, I recall off the top of my head you visited at least uh, eight places, right?
2: Yeah, I probably did. You know what's weird is I went to, I graduated from AU in 98, so we're natural Patriot League rivals. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, ba- <laughs> and back then, you know, you might go to Adams Morgan for Mescrum or Red Sea, uh, I think Kaz Sushi Ethiopian was down on high street.
0: Yeah, Sushi Ethiopian, right.
2: Yeah, there was a barbecue place on Wisconsin. What was that place called near the cathedral? Rocklands? Rocklands. Yeah, exactly. Rockland. Rob yeah. Wilder, who was Jose Andreas' partner at Sank, opened the Austin Grill, which he sold about a decade ago. Uh, I used to work at a barbecue restaurant there called Old Glory. Um,
0: oh, I mean, it just it just finally shut down.
2: Boy, I mean, that was around for a minute. Um, but my point being, that's that's what there was, and then there was there were French restaurants at hotels, and there were steakhouses where boring politicians ate, and then you know, I was down there for the first Obama inauguration and didn't have a chance to eat too much. So I hadn't been back in in 10 years, um, I guess. And it's amazing. I didn't even recognize the city. I mean, I didn't spend any time really hanging out in even any neighborhoods where I'd previously been. Um, Right. You know, and it's fun to go to a new city. I mean, a city uh, that's been renewed, I guess. And that you know, you hear places like Rose's Luxury might be played out to people who live in D.C. in the long wait. And, you know, you, you hear about it over and over and over again. And, and so maybe people who are used to the noise get worn out by it. But, you know, I hadn't heard much about it except people liked it. So that was the first place I stopped. And it was fantastic. You know, it's there's a reason why these places are beloved by locals and by the national media. And, you know, one bite of coconut ice cream with white sturgeon caviar and, you know, you have that pork and lychee salad, you're in right
0: yeah that's it right of course uh Uh, so
2: we had the new places himitsu you know kind of very casual japanese spot for some for some sushi and some great wine um i mean maketo which was in a part of i guess it's like the h street corridor or something it is yes Um, you got it yeah never even never been down that street in, in my life and they're doing like Raised pork bow and chicken lo mein, and they're selling shoes in the front. I mean, it, it's a real ringer kind of place. It's like super, super hipster, uh, young DC spot. Um, went to Maidan from Rose Prevet who owns Compass Rose, of course. Which is, uh, have you have you been there?
0: I have the the uh, totality of my experience there. There was no avoiding the giant hearth. It was all fire. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's all fire. It's North African, Middle Eastern. And you walk in and I guess now that I think about it, we sat right next to that hearth,
1: but it's, so did dark
2: I. And low- it, it almost kind of reminds me of the bar where Harrison Ford wanders into in uh, Indiana Jones where the, where the gals still working late night. Uh, right there's just, there's just something kind of romantic about it. And, uh, you know, I hate to use the word exotic, but there is something that feels, it feels like you're not in DC and, uh, and there's an entrance through a little back alley. You eat this incredibly huge hunk of roasted goat, goat shoulder, and they have all these little dips for you to try with their flatbread that comes off the hearth. Uh, so that place is great. Uh, Kith and Kin we went to. It's an Afro-Caribbean place. I uh, thought it was important uh, to try that, especially we had just come from the uh, Smithsonian uh, Museum of African-American History, which is yeah. you know the most powerful place I've probably ever been in my life. Um, So to go eat some red lentils and some torch mackerel and some jollof rice and you you get some of the the tastes of the islands from um, uh, the Afro-Caribbean flavors from the chef there. I think his name's Kwame Anwachi. Yeah, Um, right. That place is great. And there's just whole parts of the city that were developed that didn't even barely exist when I lived there. You know, We went down to the harbor and ate uh, some oysters and had wine at Whaley's uh, before walking over to the Nationals Park. Uh, for for taking a couple of innings of a Nationals game and have a grilled crab cake with cheese sandwich. Um, so there's just so much going on there. And there's still kind of some of that, uh, even the kind of stuffy, high-end American places uh, are, are doing different things, and they don't feel like they did a generation ago, like kinship. Um, the chef there makes a, a really beautiful, refined Southern food, and it's in a hundred-year-old building. And that place feels very old DC to me. Um, and of course, all the great restaurants from uh, the great humanitarian Jose Andres. Uh, so it was. We went to Bar Mini, which does amazing things with cocktails and bites, and they really put on a show and have you know next-level service. So just hitting all those places. Uh, none of them around when I lived there. All of them representing. A young, hip, diverse city that, you know, I think just changed incredibly w- with the Obama uh, era. And I I take it a, 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 some of those people stuck around and some of that that uh, hipster do-gooder enthusiasms and people working at NGO and people working in the tech industry uh, that were trying to help, you know, make the world a better place hung around. And those people need places to eat. And, you know, it's kind of the story of modern American cities uh, of the last 10 or 15 years. It's just happening everywhere from Portland, Maine to Portland, Oregon.
0: Yeah. That's, that's interesting to hear you make that um, link because what you just described in terms of it being a single generation, 10 years to 15 years, I've had a handful of guests on when I'm talking about the DC food scene. It is this um, f- fairly new phenomena of uh, a, of a very a rapid diversity there's always been ethnic cuisine available um outside of of DC there's a long tradition of of Salvadoran folks uh there's a Vietnamese corridor Korean folks have been making food outside of the city for a long time and you mentioned that the outside of this a couple of the Ethiopian restaurants um that you enjoyed when you were in college. And those Ethiopian restaurants have been, you know, the Ethiopian population here in DC um has is been is is really well established and is producing interesting and great food, you know, for as long as I've been alive. I was in high school and eating at, at Meskerem, um uh, my my first, you know, sort of uh transportive experience in terms in terms of food. But like just the democratization of the national palette dc is a small microcosm experience of that um and what the way you toured around like in neighborhoods that otherwise didn't weren't you know um interesting um necessarily food destinations and and um born out of for sure the arrival of young folks um but also this kind of revelation that occurred in the, like the last 10 to 12 years that there's money here in DC and that you know right. people with money will will you know are willing to to pay for for interesting food
2: yeah it's a generational thing i mean if you think about when our parents traveled you know i would imagine we're s- somewhat close in age when our parents traveled they weren't getting out you know, the Fodor is booked to decide what restaurant they were going to eat at, uh, and they would just eat at whatever the person at the hotel told them to eat at, or they'd eat at the most famous place, or they'd eat wherever the hell they just came across walking down the street. And people of our generation, the first thing you do when you get ready to go travel, at least the first thing I do, is is think about where I'm going to eat and where I'm going to drink. And so as people, you know, in their 30s and 40s, uh, become the people that are defining culture. They're defining it, and uh, through the lens of things that they're passionate about, and that's often food and drink. And I think it's to the benefit of all of us.
0: And I'm glad you used the word lens. It's not just the the um, intrigue and the research that you put into it. It's that validation that once you've arrived in this place, and indeed, it's delivering what its reputation portended, you want to celebrate that. You want to share it with, with your, with your culinary comrades. You're taking pictures, you're put, you're talking about it, you know, in, 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 uh, in the newspaper. Now that's your, your job. But like the rest of us, we're just celebrating these great meals that we are getting in these, in these great places. Um, I'm, I'm interested in how in in this particular topic, how it felt to be in Montreal uh, at this at this kind of food moment.
2: You know, Montreal was a fascinating place to me. I was there also this summer. Uh, it was unlike anywhere I've ever really been. I think I compared it to a mashup of like Brussels, Brooklyn, and New Orleans. Um, That's a mashup. Have... <laughs> exactly. You can get into a lot of trouble in some of those places. Uh, just in terms of the... Uh, well in terms of the french influence uh with new orleans um and also you know belgium and also the 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 architecture, uh, the the heft of the food that I found that you'd also find uh, in Belgium, and just feeling like it's kind of its own little world. And you know, I only spent a few nights there, so uh, you know, I don't want to be fake cultural anthropologist. But there's something yeah. very complex and rich about what's what's going on with um, immigration there, the way people have integrated themselves the way in which they uh, want immigrants from certain countries that are French-speaking, and if you're not, you need to learn French when you get there. You know, they're very protective of their culture, which is very much a French thing. Um, and and it's a place that likes to eat and drink a lot. I was there in the summer, and so, you know, it was nice in 84 degrees, um, but, you know, it's cold up there a lot. It's like every time I got into an Uber with a—every uh, time I got into a ride share with uh, 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 an immigrant that had moved there from a French-speaking country, whether it was Africa or whether it was somebody that spoke French and moved there from the Middle East or the islands, you know, you'd say, "Well, how do you like it?" And they'd almost always say, "It's cold." And you're like, yeah, 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 it gets <laughs> that's, cold. "That's right, and, it's and that's cold. It, it's really freaking cold." And I think that's why, you know, places like Au Pied de Cauchon, uh serve food the way they do. And I don't know if you've made it up there, but it was one of bourdain's favorite restaurants um famously uh and they would do things like a half duck stuffed with foie gras and then cooked it sous vide and maple syrup i
0: have i haven't been i've been to montreal but i haven't i, I haven't all i did was eat steak when i was there
2: oh where'd you go joe beef I, this was uh the,
0: the beginning uh it was like 2000 1999 2000 okay. so i don't even remember yeah, so now. I'm, was I'm sure the,
2: things None of the places I went, I don't think, were open in 2000. So like Joe Beef, which is this uh, famously tough reservation, tough table, uh, I slipped into the bar there by myself. I had an amazing cavatelli dish, and I also had horse, which is only the second time I'd eaten horse. Uh, I had it in Japan, uh, sashimi style. Interesting. and, and it, that's the kind of place where you see people whipping out their camera and then realizing it's probably too dark to get a good Instagram and nobody really caring because everybody's so happy and a little bit whiskey drunk and everybody's made the trek there. You know, there's obviously locals that eat there, but, you know, you go to a place like Au Pied de Cochon, you go to a place like Joe Beef, and there's there are places that, you know, tales of which have been passed down through your friends and through your culinary heroes uh, like Tony Bourdain or whoever, and so people get excited to make these pilgrimages and it's part of what makes traveling so exciting these days. There's also, you know, there's some lighter stuff there. Uh, I went to a place called Levine Papillon and they had an outdoor, uh, terrace seating. Um, and they did, it was summertime. So like a shrimp and tomato salad or scallops with charred cu- cucumber and yogurt. So they're doing these light dishes, uh, season, uh, you know, sourcing from up in their neck of the woods, serving natural wines and Canadian wines. And so you're getting a real taste uh, of the terroir as well. And then, of course, there's a huge Italian population um, up there. Well, at least hugely influential. The Little Italy in Montreal is a must-visit. We had dinner uh, with Chef Nick at Inferno. It was, I mean, it just felt like you were in in a neighborhood in Rome or uh, maybe in Brooklyn uh, it's sausage and peppers and and, and traditional uh, Roman Roman kind of food, um, seasonal, simple, clean, uh, but very soulful. Uh, great place to drink a few bottles of wine after dinner, and then a, a little posher space uh, away from uh, Little Italy was called Nora Gray, which kind of had a mid-century mod feel. Um, Kind of felt a little mad mini, um, yeah. and they they make incredible cocktails and beautiful homemade pastas. Um, and of course, when you're up there, you got to eat the smoked beef, the pastrami. Got to get some bagels. Maybe go to Saint Vietor, and and you got to get poutine and you know when you go to montreal you gotta eat poutine and the locals will tell you they all have their their different spots that they like to go so uh you know that that's what's one of the great things about traveling alone i usually travel with a group but the great thing about traveling alone is you end up sitting at the bar you end up having a couple drinks you get to talk to the bartenders you know nobody loves to talk about going out to restaurants more than a bartender um so so those are some of the joys of uh of traveling alone. And those are some of the, the better spots I hit in Montreal, which is definitely a, a unique food town. My buddies who live in New York apparently go, you know, once a year or so, cause it's, it's so close. Um, so it's definitely, if, if I lived, you know, East of the Mississippi river, I'd probably put it on my, uh, my regular jaunt list.
0: Yeah. I, I'm going to confess I have Toronto on my list. Cause I've been to Montreal. I haven't experienced Montreal the way that you just did. But it's second in priority because I just keep reading these incredible stories about things going on in Toronto and in some ways, um, uh, common kind of themes, immigrant populations coming and bringing their, um, culture and then, and being embraced and then, you know, creating new kind of food pathways. So I got to get to Toronto first, Montreal second. But look, the first thing I got to do, tell me the best time to come down to Austin. I'm going to come down. I'll give it a weekend. I'll give it four days so that you and I can eat uh, three and a half out of those four days. I have to see my family during a couple of minutes. What's the best time to come down (laughs) to Austin and eat? Tell me, Matteo.
2: Well, I mean, it it depends on... How you want to hit it? If you don't want to come down, there's there's a couple of great food festivals. There's the Hot Luck Food Festival, uh, which goes on on Memorial Day weekend. That was co-founded by Aaron Franklin um, and then Mike Thielen from Feast, and this guy James Moody, who uh, used to run a music fest down here and owns a bar music venue down here. And that's a really great time. But you're going to be tied up, you know, eating eating food and drinking at that festival the whole time. So I would suggest coming down at a time when there's not a festival going on and when there's nothing else to distract you from just drinking and eating and having a good time. And so that is going to be weather dependent. And so I'd, I'd call that April.
0: Oh, okay. April. So that's,
2: that's, you've been down here during South by Southwest. The weather is usually best in this, in this neck of the woods in March, But, you know, it can get rainy. But I don't think you want to come down during South by Southwest because there's just too much going on and too many people. So I'd say the third week of March to about the second week of May is probably our sweet spot. Uh, You might get some rain, but uh, that just means there'll be shorter lines at the barbecue trailers.
0: Well, and the important thing there is I I know you uh, like to play with a little round white ball. I think you and I could go out and get around it while while we're in between meals, right?
2: Oh, we'll do it all.
0: Yeah, that's great. Matthew Odom, the food critic at the Austin American Statesman. Check him out. He is at Odom on Twitter. I follow him, of course. And on Instagram, what's what's your Instagram tag?
2: Instagram is Matthew Odom, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-O-D-A-M. And all those good lists we talked about can be found at austin360.com slash eats. It's the top fifty, the best barbecue, the best tacos, the best trucks, whatever. My email is linked on there. If anybody's got a question about where to go eat, they can obviously hit me up because as you know, that's one of the great things about this job and about being somebody who eats a lot is sharing tips.
0: Yeah, and and and, and I'm now I'm starving, and I'm gonna have to give everybody a warning not to listen to this podcast on an empty stomach, because we just covered a lot of territory. Matthew Odom, thank you for joining me today on House of Carbs
2: Thanks brother, go Wizards Go Wizards
0: (laughs) Hungry homies I know he made me hungry I hope he made you Hungry as well Before we jump into food news Another occasion of a special guest On food news I'll wait till we get there To spring the surprise How about a word from our good pals at Hotel Tonight? You have heard us talk about Hotel Tonight. We have a little insider travel secret. It's travel season with the holidays upon us, as you know. Here is what Hotel Tonight is telling us. There are tons of empty hotel rooms out there just waiting to be booked. And Hotel Tonight has partnered with these awesome hotels to help them sell those unsold rooms, which means... You get incredible deals. Seriously, if you love scoring amazing hotel deals, you got to try Hotel Tonight. Forget scrolling through the never-ending list. Hotel Tonight shows you a select list of incredible deals. It is a customized select list based on your inputs. Cool hotels that they think that you are going to love. They even give short profiles of each hotel, complete with all the info you need, the pictures of what the rooms really look like. And even though the name is Hotel Tonight, they're not just for last-minute bookings. You can also book in advance, perfect for spontaneous weekend. Getaways, three-day weekends, staycations, road trips, business trips— Booking a place with a pool and more. I, my own self, taste buds, and headed up to New York City at the end of this week. I am using the hotel tonight for my overnight stay because I'm having a dinner, a glorious dinner at Bobby Flay's Gato. This is my first time at New York City Gato with Bobby Flay. I need a place to stay because I am going to drink as much as I eat. My hungry homies, to start scoring amazing deals at incredible hotels, go to hoteltonight.com or download the app now. Culinary comrades, today's show also brought to us by our very good friends at Sonos. Taste buds, meet Sonos Beam, the smart compact sound bar for your TV and the newest addition to your easy to use. Home sound system. Beam lets you play everything you love from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more. You can even use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or i. Had on beam all with rich sound that fills the room i'm telling you my taste buds i have a beautiful sonos beam first of all it's literally beautiful it's skinny the one i chose is black it sits in this little cabinet so the room i have in it is really not supposed to be a tv room because you know once you're a grown-ass adult you're supposed to have rooms that don't have tvs in them i have seven tvs in my house and so of course i need In the biggest room in the house, that's where I want to watch TV. This beautiful beam device fills the room with luscious sound. I'm enjoying the deep bass and the detailed stereo separation for music. And by music, I mean when my child walks in, my eight-year-old son walks into this giant room of ours and says, Alexa, play Michael Jackson Beat It. The room is filled. Why do eight-year-olds love Michael Jackson, and why do they love Beat It? I don't have any explanation for this, but I can tell you it sounds fantastic on the Sonos Beam crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies as well. All it takes is one cord to connect Beam to your TV. This is adds to the overall aesthetic beauty of it all. The Sonos app walks you through setup step by step syncs with your existing remote. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. That's Sonos S-O-N-O-S Dot com. Hungry homies, it is now time for food news. Yo, Bill Simmons,
3: this is getting to be a habit. I know. You know, Juliet's more important than me now at the ringer. So now I sub in for her to do food news. Well let She's me more let important. me make it sure. more valuable, House.
0: I understand, and, and and you are nothing if not a, a master orchestrator of talents, a delegator of of important uh, assignments. Unlike the coach in Boston, who can't yet figure out the uh, the um, the right chemistry yeah. for the Celtics. But you know, I'm not taking shots. I no, just want to have a question. A I w- I want to make sure this isn't one of these deals where the boss starts pay- paying attention and starts listening because you're getting ready to fire my ass. <laughs> that's that's not what's going on here, is it? Well.
3: I can't fire you because we've been friends for 30 years and you know all my <laughs> darkest secrets. So I think I'm stuck with you for the rest of my Woo! life. That's a relief. Yes. That's a relief. So that's great. Well, Do you have some stories? Yeah, I have a couple stories. Let's um, hear them. So Chicken and Waffles is arising, arriving at uh, KFC Nationwide Dece- through December 31st. So I'm trying to figure out what this is. We've seen the ads, right? I no, this is the first time I'm even hearing about it. Oh, I saw the ads, and I, I obviously, when I see an ad for chicken and waffles, my my first thought is that looks good, and the second thought is I wonder what Joe House thought of this. So I'm glad <laughs> yeah, you're well, here for that.
0: I'm just now seeing it. I'm I just clicked on the link. I'm looking at at the advertisement. It looks like you can choose extra ki- crispy tenders or uh, chicken. I don't know why you would. Choose, I guess the tenders are, are a little bit easier. I mean, I mean, it's got to be traditional. Yeah. So, uh, so they, be, you
3: know, when you get this, uh, at like Roscoe's, which I've taken you to, which is delicious. Oh, those are like the old school fat waffles.
0: Oh yeah.
3: Well, these, waf- these Roscoe's is like a full plate kind of waffle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's almost like you're having a plate of uh, a big, juicy, buttered, syrupy yeah. thing of waffles, but there's chicken yeah. on it. Yes. This is different. If you just look at the ad. They're like mini waffles with with the mini pieces of like the crispy chicken tender. So I think I might like this more. And I haven't been to KFC in years, but I like that you can make, it's almost like you can make little sliders with the chicken and the waffles. You can put like a piece of chicken and then fold the waffle over it and have like a little chicken and waffle slider. So it looks
0: like the from the from from the description here too, they're talking about a waffle that um, is yeast-raised, and it's like sweeter and doughier, so it almost sounds like, I have to be honest, it sounds like a donut to me a little yeah, bit. Yeah, almost like a little Benet crossed with a donut
3: crossed with a yeah. waffle. Yeah. I also that, like, in the story, the uh, KFC's head chef, Bob Das. First of all, <laughs> KFC is a head chef. We learned that in this story. And then- they tried for 15 different waffle variations before settling on this thick Belgian liege-style waffle. I remember the last time I heard the word Belgian liege-style, I think you were coming out of a ma- massage parlor in Holland. Um, nothing?
0: <laughs> nothing.
3: That was it? We've Absolutely never been to nothing. Holland. What are you talking about? I could make that I'm, joke. I,
0: I have to I, that is a stone. I'm giving that a <laughs> I'm giving at the stone. I am not giving nothing on that. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. What is the Belgian leash style? Do you have to tell the masseuse ahead of time or after the fact? I All I know is this: the the one that I'm looking at here is the KFC hot honey fried chicken breast fillet mm. between two waffles, and I feel like you could get a hot sauce. Now, I don't, do they serve? I I haven't. You know, when I go to to uh, KFC and I have been there in in, inside of uh, the last six months, I just get I just am an extra crispy bucket brother. That's just what I want. It's just the way I want. I want it old school. I want the mashed potatoes and gravy. I don't do anything else. I don't uh, any accoutrement. None of it. I don't. Can you buy uh, can you get hot sauce at at KFC? I'm sure the answer is yes. I just never do it.
3: I don't think it's good hot sauce. I think it's probably just a bunch of chemicals in ketchup.
0: And so if you bring it home and and you have you know I have a whole fridge full of hot sauces. Yeah, now I, I I mean I I I have your Cholula and, and I have probably four different varieties of Cholula. There's a crystal in there. There's a Texas Pete in there. I mean I've I've got uh, virtually all the hot sauces you can imagine. Um, but well, I like a real house- spicy version of this. This is the first
3: time you and I have had a conversation about KFC in about four years. Yeah, sure. So that's a win already for them. I know my son is going <laughs> to like the chicken and waffles. Like, you can lock that down. I also think another person who can't be ruled out is the 3AM eater himself, Kyle. Kyle. Oh, Kyle, producer Kyle, wow, that's Mr. close th- enough. Mister Three, the Three A.M. House of Carbs would just be like, "All right, so today we're going to talk about this disgusting Chinese food I ordered at three o'clock on Saturday night that I threw up an hour later, and later I'm going to the guy who cleaned it up."
0: This sounds like a new segment on House of Carbs. <laughs> three A.M. House of Carbs.
3: Three A.M. with with nephew Kyle. Kyle, what did you have at three A.M. on Saturday night?
1: I had a uh, honey chicken. And uh hun- yeah, honey chicken and uh, yeah. Speaking of honey chicken, two orders of cream cheese Ragoons
3: Yeah. See, house, this should be a segment with you. What did Kyle eat at three cheese? in the morning last weekend?
1: Well, the worst part was I woke up in the morning and and left out the cream cheese and ate it, and then went <laughs> oh, to your no. house. Then went to your house, Bill. And then did- <laughs> you're giving me shit. Yeah. Why?
0: Why did you do that? You know, there's food at his house.
1: He's got. A, he's got. There's a chef. There's whole food. Fridge full of food at, at Bill's house. I was just keeping the ball rolling, house. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> How, so here,
3: here's not another food news digression, but I'm going to do it anyway. We got Postmates from this place in L.A. called The Little Next Door because I Googled best soups in L.A. I was I was so I'd uh, eaten so much over the weekend. I just wanted like yeah. a great soup. Love and it. Found this list, which I think was on L.A. Weekly. And they said the number one soup was this French onion soup at Little Next Door. You love a French onion. So, but here's the problem. What's the problem with French onion soup? You can't How deliver you tr- it. It's yeah, sucks. Yeah, you can't
0: transport. It doesn't transport. That's right.
3: They'll. Put, most of the people, they'll do the French thing. They'll, they'll microwave the cheese on top of the microwavable nah, soup thing. And then they'll uh, put the no. bread thing. The bread gets stale. And it's just nope. a disaster. Yep. So we got the soup. First of all, it was really good. Second of all, all that came in the container was a big thing of the soup. And then- they gave a side of cheese and then a side of the croutons to put in the soup that were separate from the microwaveable bowl so then you could dress it you could put as much cheese as you wanted put the bread in and then you microwave it yourself for like 25 seconds house it was it was
0: it was glorious it was it was so che- good how was the cheese was it just uh, like shredded cheese, grated cheese? How did it arrive in the container that it
3: arrived in? It was more than shredded. It was like little dots of cheese almost. Like they like super
0: duper shredded them so it wouldn't get all gooey when you ate it. it and would, but but you when you put it in the microwave, it, it got the to the correct level of meltiness. Yeah, on top it got melty. This, yeah. I, I, okay. I got to say,
3: it was like, it was flat out delicious. I've never been happier with a soup order
0: from Postmates ever in my life, so... Well, I, I mean the, the care that these po these people took to to deliver to you the experience that they wanted you to have, kudos. What's it called? It was called the little next door. And by the way, the little yes, next door. Kudos.
3: Kudos to them for knowing that they have this star in their lineup, the Jason Tatum of their lineup, the French onion soup, knowing that people would want to order it and figuring out a way to make it translate to ninety percent of its effectiveness. So
2: congrats that's, to that's them. A- uh, Congrats to
3: them. Next one, next food news item is something that I know you do not approve of ever. It was a food fight at Whataburger, which was captured on video. is between <laughs> the students at Clearbrook and Clear Lake High School. And I know nothing makes you sadder other than <laughs> homelessness, pestilence, and nuclear war oh, than no. a food fight. When food is just wasted and and human beings throw food at other human beings instead of eating it, I know that makes you sad,
0: but it, it it does, but on the on the other hand, I will say if there's anything that I'm going to you know be able to set aside the pain and anguish of seeing food you know put to it, it, an unintended use. if it's high school kids throwing food at each other i'm, I'm you know I'm in I'm down for that <laughs> sign me up. So, uh, a Clear Lake student who Clear
3: Lake won the football game. They beat Clear Brook, and then oh. they had a food fight after. And one of the Clear Lake students tweeted after, Brook lost and destroyed Waterburger. So I don't know. My our, well, I, our thoughts and prayers are with Waterburger <laughs> in whatever. Well, let me this say was. this:
0: I, I don't want. I I, I hope it didn't uh, result in literal like property damage, but when even when I was growing up, these rivalries could get scary right yeah. you, you could you would go to like the parking lot at McDonald's after in Montgomery county. Maryland and the kids are the BCC kids and the Blair kids might might not see eye to eye and you're in the park and then the the fight you know the inevitable fight you just start worrying about uh, uh you know weapons coming out and that whole thing and and it's it's a whole scary scene if if this was I didn't I didn't click on the story to read it um but if this was innocent enough just hamburger throwing then I I I think it's it could be an uplifting moment just how, just have a food fight how
3: drunk would you have been to have picked up one of the Whataburgers off the ground post-food fight and
0: at least taken three bites? Not drunk at all. (laughs) Sober. 100% 100 sober. I mean, if it was fully intact and I had a rough estimate of how long it was sitting there, and yeah. it had cheese on it, then I'm, I mean, you know, I give it a look. Maybe it's
1: just on the bench, too. Maybe you find one that didn't make it to the floor. Oh, right. true. If it
0: didn't make it all the way to the floor, that's even better. Mm-hmm. Then that one, definitely. Or sitting on a table, like, forlorn, I, I'll step <laughs> in there. I don't want to take a sad scene and make it happy. So, Chicago restaurant,
3: Miss Ricky's, it's the 15th- Miss Rickey's, that's a good name. 15th anniversary of Elf, and they've decided to come out with a pasta dish mm. called- um, It's syrup and candy top spaghetti. That It's the breakfast that basically the elf created in the movie. Yeah, yeah. I can see Will Ferrell eating it. Pasta topped with strawberry and raspberry sauces, marshmallow, s'more Pop-Tarts, M&M's, Oreos, Fruity Pebbles, coconut flakes, syrup, and chocolate sauce. It's going to be on the menu, and they're going to play elf on a loop all day. That's That's cute.
0: Is it? Is it cute? <laughs> well, look, first of all, it feels like Miss Ricky's is a, is kind of a family place. They, they've got a vibe going. I have no idea. I, I didn't look up Miss Ricky's before hearing about this story. So I hope it's not a, a hipster joint. I hope it's the kind of place where, you know, it, it, it's obviously kid friendly if they're putting elf on. No, but here's the thing, and- House.
3: You have a kid. You have a little boy who's just as much of a dumbass as my little boy, and if you fed them a meal like that, my son would probably commit—I don't
0: know—a homicide
1: after or before they, throwing up.
0: They're not permitted to eat the whole thing. You're—I would let them have two bites. That would be it. Like take a twirl, get some of the pop tart in there, get some of the you know chocolate, get some of the sprinkles, and that's it. And then send it back. Say or you just yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, but yes, see, but take it away.
3: Most people aren't smart parents like we are. Some people are gonna bring their kids in there, they're <laughs> gonna eat that whole thing, and then the kid's gonna be running like a 40, 4.0, 40 yard dash. Speaking of sugar stuff, so did you do you know what a freak shake is?
0: <laughs> no.
3: Speaking of speaking of Belgium massage parlors, yeah. <laughs> no. Freak <laughs> shake. <laughs> I thought this was something Cardi B came up with, but apparently not. A freak shake. It's those new milkshakes that people are making that have, like, all the extra stuff in them. It's like a mashup of uh, drink, dessert, and toppings. And some of these freak shakes, I'm reading from an article about it in The Guardian, um, contain as much as 39 teaspoons of sugar. So it's like these these special milkshakes that have, you know, it's a vanilla milkshake, but it also has a chocolate chip uh, brownie. Ground into it with bananas and strawberries. And they just basically overload it. They make it like the dream team of milkshakes.
0: I'm out on that. It's not for us, right? It's not for you or me. I don't know. It's, it's, what's, who's that for? A 14 year old boy? I mean, is it like a dare kind of of thing that you do? I mean, it's sometimes like Five Guys has
3: when they have a banana and chocolate shake that the sugar, it's part of Sugar Awareness Week. That's why we found out about this. I see. The Five Guys Banana and Chocolate Shake contains 37 teaspoons of sugar. It's the equivalent of drinking more than four cans of cola in a row. Uh it has uh there's a Toby Carvery, a family restaurant chain, which has uh been singled out for serving up the most shocking shake that has 39 teaspoons of sugar in it. An average 25 year old would need to jog for nearly three hours or vacuum the house for five <laughs> hours to burn off the calories or in nephew Kyle's case just sleep it off after drinking the freak shake at three in the morning and then he would pass yeah. out
1: yeah yeah I, I mean that seems like it wouldn't mix well uh, it might all or, be coming up no Kyle no get, calories. Ready,
0: <laughs> get ready to get ready to edit this or or masturbate for an hour 45 <laughs> I mean, let's be honest i mean that's that that's what i mean that's the real way to get rid of that thing well let me ask, free, let me ask freak shake
3: is the best hip hop album that's never come out
0: that's a, that's a great, Pink I mean, that, should, that be that an should be album. at least a song. When's the last time you sat down and had a milkshake from the beginning all the way to the end, like drank the entire milkshake? Um, I'm so glad you asked.
3: <laughs> it was about two weeks ago. My wife came home from Astro Burger with, with, uh, T- Astro Burger is probably our favorite fast food place and they have really good milkshakes, which I've given you before. Yeah, I love them. And it's a vanilla milkshake that they make really well. And you know, but I can't stop drinking a milkshake once I start. It's not like, I'll just have half of this. I'm like, if I'm going to do this, I'm just going to ruin myself. It's probably, what are the worst things you can put in your body? Like fried mozzarella sticks, a
0: milkshake.
3: It's like, there's like a top five of, yeah, bagel, Giant,
0: giant bagel. So here's the thing with me and milkshakes at this stage of life. And I hope that this does not uh, make anybody want to revoke my house of carbs uh, eater card. I like milkshakes at the I used to be a guy that liked them at the end of a meal. It was the capper. It was the dessert. I now at this stage of my life want my milkshake at the beginning of my meal Mm. because I want it simultaneous with the hot, salty food that I'm going to be eating alongside that delicious milk. It's like, I want the fries to be as hot as possible and as salty as possible, and I want to douse that, that, that hot fry mouth with a huge bite of whatever milkshake is going on. We had this experience at, at, uh, Cassell's. Yeah. Where we were waiting for the patty melt, but the fries, we ordered, um, bacon chili fries, uh, ba- bacon chili cheese fries and regular fries. They preceded, the patty melts, and we had milkshakes, and the fries, and the milkshake. That is my jam, mm. right? That's a great appetizer to me. But it ends up producing this effect where I don't eat the entire milkshake because there is a main course that is yet to oh, arrive. You're saving room, so you're yeah. mind tricking yourself almost. Well, I mean, kind of. But I just, I just don't want anybody to think less of me because I'm not consuming the entire milkshake. My favorite thing when I was growing up in New England was the Friendly's
3: Fribble with the friendlies patty melt and the oh friendly french fries. And I just love the Fribble so much. Fribble is a word that still makes me happy to this day. I don't even know. Do they have friendlies anymore?
0: Uh they went through a restructuring. I don't know how many of them lasted. A bunch of them uh shut down. I don't know if any of them survived. Yeah. Well, R I P to the friendlies,
3: but I love I love the old uh the old Fribbles. Yeah, that's that's all I got for you for food news, house. Unless there's well, I, something I, we have something else we have to talk about. Oh, we did go to a, we went to Major Domo on Wednesday and we speed ate at Major Domo. <laughs> Chris Chen was like a conductor, just bringing food out left and right, and we ended up eating basically a triple dinner. And I would say about fifty minutes. And I got to be honest, I we mean, I haven't talked to you since you left. I didn't feel good for like two days after.
0: I had a quick recovery. It was, uh, on the one hand, we speed ate because our, our pal who shall not be named, he doesn't like to, to, to have his name out on the public airwaves, had us on a very strict schedule. Now, Chen yeah. accommodated that schedule, but we ate starting at like 530. And so by the time we got around, we went and saw the basketball game, the Lakers. I had all that time to really digest my meal, which was which was nice. The big innovation of the night for me was the accompaniment of the. Not only did we have the BS fries, and by the way, anybody I get a lot of uh, on on the Twitter, people say, "What's the very best? What's the single best thing uh, at at Major Domo? There are many wonderful things. You can't go wrong with the APL. If the short rib is available, you must get it. You can't uh, uh, avoid it. They had we had a beautiful steak as part of this. Obviously, chicken. What about the chicken? The the, the the beautiful chicken two ways, uh which is which comes in both served over rice with the beautiful fat, the way it's prepared. It's a boiled chicken. They slice it up for you, uh you can eat the breast, and then they bring you a soup at the end. That that's just glorious. Great. But I have to say, the BS fries are are like the single the single I can't believe I mean, you know, you're on here. It sounds like I'm kissing your ass again, but it's they're just unbelievable. No, see- and they
3: brought I didn't make them, though. I didn't really do anything other than challenge Chang to make better fries than normal fries. It was well, he, he, I challenged his manhood. So if I get credit for that, great. But he reinvented fries as we know it. They're the greatest fries anyone's ever
0: eaten. And the innovation at this meal was they brought cheese with it. Now, I oh, I would yeah. say I, I loved it with the cheese, but I, I think they're so beautiful and, and pristine on their own that I'm not sure that I would I'd do the cheese again. I loved him with the cheese, but I don't think it's necessary. Well, if you've noticed, Chang has some sort of weird thing
3: against ketchup. Oh, I haven't noticed. Yeah, there's some sort of fuck you in him toward ketchup. There's never ketchup Why? with him. I think this is a chef thing. I don't think chefs like ketchup. I don't think they respect it. Whenever you go and you get any sort of, if you're if you're at a really nice place with a chef that's put a lot of thought and time into things,
0: very rarely will they offer you the ketchup. You have to ask for it. The next time we get a, a chef on House of Carbs, I'm going to ask about this because, you know, when we had that that burger at father's office, that chef insisted that we have it the way they don't they don't offer you ketchup alongside that burger because the chef wants you to enjoy it. the Oh, way yeah. We, we it. talked
3: about that last year and that one, one yeah. of the original House of Carbs episodes. Both of us were yeah. kind of offended by that.
0: Well, I it was it, I understood where he was coming from. I appreciate uh, the spirit in which he is intending to deliver to us the experience he has in mind. But after I've eaten two or three bites of it, let me do me, my man. I, I enjoyed it. I got where you're coming from. It was awesome. It was an awesome, like this real French onion, speaking of French onion soup, this real French onion kind of burger vibe, very well conceived. Yeah. But, you know, I, why can't I spice it up a little bit? Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought I was in America. <laughs> um,
3: it's like the same thing when you go to a really good sushi place and they don't serve soy sauce or they tell you we don't serve soy sauce with this course, Sugarfish will do that. They, uh, now whether Sugarfish is a great su- sushi place or not, like that's pretty polarizing topic in LA, but they, they only have a couple sauces and you're not allowed to, they, they discourage asking for more soy sauce for whatever category. and well, yeah, well, It's always been strange to me when when the chef is basically ordering us how to eat the food.
0: Well, I think in the first place, the idea of say uh, of making a recommendation, please try it this way without this thing that you're accustomed to, because I think you're going to like the experience. That's cool. I'm okay They with don't that. do
3: it that way They don't They don't offer it that way They're like You're not getting Fucking soy sauce <laughs> Fuck you it's, The chef doesn't uh, like it It's like you're You're cheating If you brought It's like a Seinfeld episode You brought in your own soy sauce And you get caught And you get banned From the sushi place This does sound like A good
0: Larry David This sounds like a yeah. curb There's, That would <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be a great A great bit for curb Larry David Why can't I bring My own soy sauce <laughs> I'm Sneaking in the soy He's sauce Sneaking is it is, in or sneaking a ketchup at father's office—that would be fantastic.
3: Is he, Morty's getting mad at
0: him because he brought the,
3: his own <laughs> soy sauce in.
0: So you—you—you've had him on the show. Send him this note. This is a great note win. for for Larry. Yeah, season fifteen.
3: All right, House. That's it for food news. Uh, Juliet will be back next week. Someday. Hoping. Someday. Yeah. yeah busy fingers lady. crossed.
0: Yeah. Please, please, just so long as I'm not fired. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely not fired. You have your job. For All life. right. Thanks, great. House. Thanks, BS. All right, my taste buds, there you go. It must be holiday season because we are giving you five course meals here on House of Carbs. I mean, let's be honest. Producer Kyle, Bill Simmons, Matthew Odom, we were in Montreal, we were in Washington, D.C., we were at KFC. All the bases are covered. Speaking of covering the bases, a, a, a small request to all the taste buds out there, House of Carbs has been nominated for Best Food Podcast of 2018, you, the Hungry Homies, can vote. It's the iHeartRadio Podcast Awards. If you Google iHeartRadio.com and just look up the tab for podcast awards, we are in there. I know it's a miracle. I don't know who bribed who, and believe me, I'm willing to throw in an extra 20 on top of that. But we are among a list of of highly esteemed and accomplished food podcasts. If you wouldn't mind giving us your support, we would greatly appreciate it. Keep up the belly sourcing, my Hungry Homies. Until next week, let's stay hungry out there.